Good morning. So compared to many of you, I am, you know, probably still considered a newer father. Um, I'm pretty sure kids should come with instruction manuals. Mine didn't, did yours? No, I'm, I'm pretty sure they should. So being a newer father, I'm still learning what to do, but there's one thing I'm really getting good at. I mean, I'm getting good at it daily. Disciplining my children. And you may think, oh, Brian, that's, you know, that's all. No, no, listen, listen. I have an almost eight-year-old. My daughter turns six tomorrow, right? Happy birthday, Daniela. And then I have a four-year-old. My house gets crazy, and it gets crazy fast. And so one thing I've decided is I'm not going to allow my children to make my life miserable while they're in my house, okay? I've decided it's a personal value. They're not allowed to do that. So daddy learns how to discipline. And here's how I know I'm getting really good at it. Because mommy decides to tell him, wait till your father gets home. And when she says, wait till your father, I mean, daddy's good. Like, I feel like I'm the best at our house at discipline. But to be fair, Jessica's pretty good at it too. And I think the whole wait till your daddy gets home thing, I think that's discipline in itself, right? Because then she, they have to wait. They have to think about it. They get nervous. Does, does this sound mean? Y'all are looking at me like we're mean. I'm just telling you how we live. This is just reality, okay? This is just what we do. Now, for me, I never got to experience the whole wait till your dad gets home. I grew up with just my mom, and my mom could turn it on and off really quick. Anybody else's moms? Yes, okay, amen. So I got some, finally got some amens at the church. That's how we get them, all right? Now, I imagine what it's like is when I was in seventh grade, though. So I was being a typical seventh grade disruptive kid. Anybody else? Just, okay, okay, just me. Seven, okay, seventh grade, I was pretty terrible. My teacher kept telling me to stop being disruptive, and of course, I didn't listen. And so in front of the entire class, he says, I'm coming to visit your mom tonight. I tried to play it off like it didn't bother me. Oh, I was scared. Got home that day, went off the bus. I went straight to my room. My mom knew I did something wrong. I went straight to my room and I sat up my window. My window faced front house. I sat up my window all day and just stared. Is he gonna show up? Seven o'clock at night, here comes a car. Pulls up in the driveway and I see Mr. Tate getting out of the car walking to my front door. Needless to say, I straightened up really quick, really fast in his class. You see, what I didn't know then, and, I, and I'm finding out now, and you probably already know, is disciplining others isn't fun. You know, if you've ever been a boss, disciplining employees isn't fun. If you've been a parent, disciplining your children isn't fun. I mean, none of us wanna waste our time and efforts having to do things like that. But discipline, what's well, a reality of life, isn't it? And boy, was it needed in the life of the nation of Israel. If you haven't been here with us, it's your first time visiting, we've been going through the Old Testament doing this big campaign called The Story where right now we're kind of getting towards the end of the Old Testament where we see some really crazy things happening in the nation. You see, the nation of Israel, God formed and told them, that he would bless them if they followed his covenant, and if they didn't follow his covenant, well, the exact opposite of a blessing would happen. And this nation saw what it looked like when they followed God, like the book of Joshua. They experienced what it looked like if they didn't follow God. You can read it in the book of Judges. But after this King Solomon, the nation continued to get worse and worse and worse. In fact, it ends up being divided. But it seems like every king tried to up the other king and do worse sins. 
I mean, that's what it seems like in First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, that's what it's about. It's like, hey, I saw you did that, I'm gonna one-up you, and I'm gonna make it even worse. Well, God would send his prophets to warn them, to tell them, hey, you gotta stop, you gotta turn back, but they refused to listen. The northern kingdom that was called Israel, it got wiped out and we've never heard from it again. And then he was given the southern tribes, Judah, time to repent. They saw what would happen if they didn't. However, they just continued in the sin. This is where we see prophets like Jeremiah coming. God's patiently waiting, patiently saying, say, hey guys, turn and repent. I'm sending my prophets to you. What we always have to remember when we look at the Old Testament, we learn the life of Israel. It's so hard for us to think through, but we have to remember that Israel was designed to be the nation to represent God on this earth. Israel was to be the light to the world. Israel was supposed to show everybody what it looked like to be the people of God. And so God couldn't ignore them worshiping other gods. He couldn't protect them while they turned from him. While they're doing child sacrifices and turning to these other gods, God couldn't have his hand of blessing on him. God had to do something about it. And so the northern tribe, went into exile. And then this week, if you read along with us, we saw the southern tribe, Judah, did as well. Babylon, Babylon came and took them over, took them out. And you'd figured by now, if you've been reading along, you're like, all right, God has to surely be done with them. There's no way he can continue to use them. Maybe he started over. Maybe that's what Jesus was about, right? He's starting over, starting fresh, but that's not what we see. Even after all their disobedience, and I mean, it got bad. God still wasn't done with them. He told Jeremiah what would happen. Look at this, it's Jeremiah 31.3. It says, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with an unfailing kindness. And in this verse, he's, re he's saying, hey, hey, remember Egypt? Remember when you did nothing to deserve this? Remember when I pulled you out of slavery? Remember when I called you to be my people? Remember when I gave you the promised land? Remember before anything you've done, anything good, I rescued you? You remember this because of my unfailing love, because of my kindness? Then he says in verse four, I will build you up again and you, virgin Israel, will be rebuilt. What's so crazy about this, if you've been following, if not Read, read your Bible, read your Old Testament, it gets pretty crazy, is they've turned from God and God considers it that they've been cheating on them. They've refused to listen to his warnings. They've refused to follow after him. But he says, because of my great love, yeah, you're, you're gonna go to exile for a while. You, you gotta learn your lesson, but I'm gonna bring you back. I'm gonna restore you. I'm gonna redeem you. And the idea of the virgin Israel is I'm gonna make you pure again. So here's what I want you to see. The nation brought this on themselves. They constantly disobeyed. God looked at them as if they were cheating on them, and so he disciplines them. He disciplines them severely, but he wasn't done. Because of his unfailing love, because of this term we would call today his grace, he wasn't done with them. And so he sends them to exile. They're removed from the promised land. The, the land he gave them, he removes them from it. Says, hey, go experience living under other nations. You're out of here. 
But in exile, while they're experiencing this discipline, fascinating things happen. You see, when they, when they are confronted with a plethora of gods, they end up turning and focusing on the one true God. When they don't longer have the temple to perform sacrifices, meaning when they just can't go through the motions any longer, they turn and start studying the scriptures once again. They start focusing on the law and the prophets, what we call the Old Testament. They start reading and learning. They start paying attention to God. This is where we see them build synagogues, places of worship we see in the New Testament where they gather together like, hey, we don't have a temple. We still need to come together to do this. So they start getting very interested and once again following after God. Listen, God disciplining them actually strengthen their faith. It did what it was supposed to do. Like when that teacher came to my house that night, I promise you that teacher never again had a problem with me. When God sent them out, they started getting serious. In fact, it's in the exile that they start getting serious about the Messiah. It's in the exile, they long for a leader to get it right. They long for, we need somebody to come and lead us to be the people we were supposed to be. We need the Messiah to deliver us, to save us. And so God got their attention by taking everything from them. He gave them several warnings. They refused to see him. They refused to listen to him. So their homeland was destroyed. The temple that we read all about finally being built was destroyed. Everything they loved was gone. And they were taken to be servants and slaves of another nation. But even in the midst of that, God was still working. And their faith was renewed. You see, God used a situation that wasn't ideal a situation they brought on themselves that wasn't what he wanted. It's what they deserved, but he used it to bring them back to him. See, maybe you found yourself in this story because Israel did what all of us do. This is so common. When life's going well, when life is good, when we have all the money and all the health, well, it's easy to find other things to do than worship God, isn't it? It's easy to be busy, it's easy to ignore, it's easy to think, look at, whoo, look at what I've done. You see this? I am good. You see all this money? Whoo, I work hard. Look at me. But when things get hard, when moments of uncertainty happen, when tragedy strikes, when we don't know what to do, when we realize we don't have all the answers, well, we start looking for signs. We start praying. We're at church even on Wednesday nights. We're like, Lord, listen, I'm gonna come to church on Sundays and Wednesdays if you get me through this. It's in the dark moments of life we cling to God. And although you and I will never experience what the nation of Israel went through, it's, we're beyond that now. What I do know about you because it's true about me is we'll all experience hardships. We're all gonna experience suffering. We'll all have pain, tragedies. It's the reality of life. In fact, the Bible clearly tells us to be prepared for it. I mean, that's one of the reasons you should seriously get into your scriptures. God prepares us for this. Some people, and I talk to them all the time, think, well, if God loved me, if I was in his will, that means no bad things would happen, to which the scriptures say. No, that's not how that works. 
Prepare yourself for them. Get ready for them. See, Jesus told his followers over and over, hey, be ready for persecution, be ready for trials. Peter, James, John, we see their writer, they're like, hey, here's what we're going through. It's not easy. And when we start thinking about discipline or pain and tragedies and hardships, nobody really understands how all this stuff works. Nobody has the answers. For us today, we want definitions and want categories, don't we? We want it listed out like, Lord, here's what discipline clearly looks like, suffering, pain, hardships. Give me categories so I can figure out where I'm at on it. But that's not how it works. That's not how God reveals himself to us. You see, in scriptures, we see God test people in all sorts of crazy situations like the life of Job. We see he uses discipline to get people's attention like the nation of Israel. But we also know that pain and suffering just happen because we know that we live in a broken and fallen world. If you've been with us this far, I hope you've learned that by now. The world's dark, the world's sinful, and pain and suffering is real. Because sometimes we get hurt and we didn't do anything, just somebody else did it. You ever experienced that? Where you experienced pain and tragedy but it had nothing to do with you, it's what someone else did? Yeah, it's, it's sin. It's the effects of it. It's dark. It's hurtful. And the Bible doesn't concern itself, I wish it did, but the Bible doesn't concern itself with defining how all of this works, how it all looks. You see, far too often we drive ourselves crazy trying to understand why, trying to categorize, trying to say, well, how does it all work? And the reality is God doesn't want our understanding. God wants our faith. That's the point is that we have put our faith and trust in him. And what I want you to see today is that even in the midst of those hardships, those uncertainty, even the discipline that he may bring upon you, that God is still at work in your life and that God can still use it for good. If he can use Israel's sin to end up being for good, he can use whatever you're going through for the good. But it doesn't mean, and this is so important, I'm gonna repeat myself a lot today, it doesn't mean you're gonna understand it. Far too often we get too distracted. See, when my son Tyler was two years old, uh, he was playing, I think it was with his sister this time, I think it was Daniela, but they were playing, next thing you see, it was one of those big balls, please never buy my family one of those really big balls with my little kids, okay? They were playing with it, next thing you know, we hear Tyler screaming and he has a gash on the top of his head at two years old. Blood was pouring everywhere. Rushed him to the emergency room, daddy did, mommy, Stayed back with the other two. Rushed him to the ER, and the doctor says, we're gonna get stitches in his head. Doctor said, but giving him a shot's gonna be just like a stitch, so how about, he said, we shouldn't give him a shot. I'll just put some topical on it, and you hold him down. And daddy can compartmentalize, right? I got this. No problem. So I'm sitting there in the ER with my two-year-old son in a bear hug with a little bit of topical stuff, where he proceeded to think it was two, was four stitches on the top of my two-year-old son's head, and he's screaming and yelling and crying, Daddy, why? It broke me. I thought, I thought I was tough. I got this. I didn't. But he didn't know that this was for his good. But I had him. I was right there with him, and I never let him go. And your heavenly father is right there with you. 
in the midst of all of it saying, I know you don't get it, but I got you. I'm not gonna let you go. You see, God could have kept Joseph out of jail, but he didn't. He could have kept Jeremiah from being tossed into a pit, but he didn't. He could have kept Paul from being shipwrecked, but he didn't. He could have kept Daniel out of the lion's den, but he didn't. But each and every time their faith was increased, it did something to them and for them. You see, it's in the tragedies and hardships and difficulties in life that our faith can grow like never before. It's in the dark times where we can clearly see the beauty of God and where we cling to him. And so we have to remember verses like this, Romans 8, 28, that says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who've been called according to his purpose. And, and I love to disprove Bible verses. People use them wrong all the time and I love to correct them and you can't. This says what it says and it means what you think it means. That God in all things, no matter what it is, you think God can't use that? He says, no, he can he can use it for, get, for good for those who've been called, those who love him, been called according to his purpose. So no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, whether you brought it upon yourself or just something that's happened in life, God can use it for good. But it doesn't mean you're gonna understand it, but it does mean you can rest and rely in his unfailing love for us. Because God is for us. You see, what I want you to hear is that God won't stop you from experiencing hardship, tragedies, pain, discipline. But even in those, he will be right there with you. He will bring you out on the other side stronger than ever if you allow him. And it's in those dark times we remember the beauty of the gospel that the world is broken, but Jesus has come to restore and redeem. And that the darknesses and the pains and the tragedies cannot do its worst because the very worst that anything could do to you, God has removed because of Jesus Christ. We can remember, I'm telling you, your mindset matters, that yeah, this is difficult, yeah, this is hard, yeah, I don't wanna go through this, but oh, I'm gonna be in glory one day. Oh, I'm gonna be walking with him one day because of Jesus Christ. He's prepared us. You see, James tells us this. James 1, 2 says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. How many of us look at this and go, right, uh-huh. Like, I'm, I'm never actually gonna do that, James. I appreciate that. But this is one of those Bible verses, like it's just not gonna happen. And when he says trials of many kinds, he's casting a wide net here. This is sickness, disappointment, pain, suffering, anything. He says, consider it joy when you go through this stuff. He says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So no matter what you're going through in those hardships, and you know and I know our faith gets tested. It's kind of like when you have a hardship in life, you know who your true friends are, right? Or how about this, when it's time to move, you know who your true friends are, right? The ones who show up. The other ones, not so much. It's in the hardships, no matter what it's at, we find out where our faith really lies. And you may find your faith isn't near as strong as you thought it was. 
How many of us have met people that says, well, I used to go to church until, well, I used, I used to believe, well, until. What they found is their faith was shallow or probably non-existent at all. When life is good, it's easy to proclaim the blessings of God. When life gets hard, it's much harder. And James says, but listen, he says, go through these, consider it pure joy because it's gonna produce something in you. Something's gonna happen inside of you. When you come out on the other side, you're gonna be stronger than ever. Because verse four, he says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. He says, let it play out. You see, the reality is, if you didn't know, the people you admire, the people you look up to, that you just say, man, they have faith like I've never seen. What's different? Ask them about their story. I bet you they've been through the hardest and most difficult things in life. They've come out on the other side mature and strong. And so James isn't saying, hey, be joyful that it's gonna hurt. Be joyful that someone else got hurt. Be joyful that you gotta experience this. He says, no, just, yeah, it's gonna happen, we know that. But in this, God's going to do something. In this, you have an opportunity to grow. In this, you can self-reflect. You can see what your faith really is. In fact, better yet, you're gonna watch God do something amazing because we believe he's there. We believe he's in the midst of it and he's gonna use it for the good. See, if you cling to God, you'll persevere through it. And so if we brought this together, it says God won't stop us from hardships and suffering. In fact, sometimes we bring it upon ourselves and it's called discipline. But no matter how it happens, God is still at work, God is still there, and he still loves us. But these hardships will allow us to mature in our faith, to strengthen our faith, And so why then, why then do some people run? Why do some people leave? Why do some people cling? It's the mindset. It's how can I get through this? And I've taught you this before, but it's coming up again because it's gonna take a little bit for it to stick. Instead of asking, well, when we go through these things, the first question you and I ask, we ask, how can I get out of this, don't we? Don't you ask that? If it hurts, do you say, how can it stop? Are you tracking with me? When pain Life, tragedy, suffering happens. We say, how can I get out? What's the way out? Where do I go? We start focusing our attention on fixing, getting out, or taking something. Or we walk away. We run. But instead of asking, how can I get out of this? What if we did a little bit of self-reflection and it's painful? And what if we said, what? Can I get out of this? What is God showing me? What can I learn? Where is my faith really? I mean, do I really trust him? Because if we're told to have faith and our faith means that God has unfailing love, that he's for us and will use this for the good, that means no matter what we go through in this life is an opportunity to strengthen our faith. And when we start asking, what can I get out of this? I mean, it could cause all sorts of things to happen. You may find out that your faith isn't anywhere near where you thought it was. You may find out that you're prideful or arrogant. I remember that conversation with my my chaplain. He was a captain. I was a private. And he sat me down. He said, did you know you're arrogant? I said, of course not. 
I'm pretty important. How dare you say something like that to me? If you, if you don't get it, look up definition of arrogant, okay? I'm a private. He's a captain. There's a big difference in chain of command structure there. Maybe, maybe we realize we don't really trust the scriptures. We may say the right words, but we really don't believe them. Maybe we realize we have an authority problem. We don't like God telling us what to do. I've had a couple of those. Y'all know. Y'all did not grow up like me. I'm learning that, okay? Either, either you're not honest in church or I have a much very different life than many of you. I had authority problems, still do. Maybe we've realized that we've been living life trusting our own abilities rather than God's strength and power. Maybe we've realized the value and importance of life and the importance of faith. Maybe we've realized that sin is gross and the Bible's right that the world is dark and the only hope really is Jesus Christ. See, in every hardship, in every difficulty, you can grow, you can persevere, you can mature as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so in closing, I just want you to understand that nobody understands how all this works. It's a mystery and we just trust God for that. The Bible never tells us that we'll live a pain-free, problem-free life. In fact, it tells us the exact opposite. But in the midst of that, we're told that God has an unfailing love for us. That his grace is sufficient for us. And that even in the crazy trial, dark times, that he'll be right there with us. That is, of course, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you don't know him, I'm telling you, he's, all of that stuff is to show you the beauty of Jesus and the gospel and the redemption and salvation through him. If you do know him, then you know there's hope. You know he's redeemed you and you know there's something better coming. So next time you're faced with hardship, instead of asking, how can I get out of this? Start asking, what can I get out of this? Watch what he does. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, it's, it's a struggle. It's a struggle for each and every one of us to not know everything. It's a struggle for us not to have all the answers. But Father, you knew this. You created us. Father, increase our faith so that we can run to you when the crazy times of life happen. Show us you are working in our lives. Allow us to see the plans and the purposes you have for us beyond our knowledge. Father, we know that your ways are so much higher than ours and we thank you for your unfailing love, grace, and mercy. We thank you for the promise that you'll never leave or forsake us. We thank you for giving us your spirit that'll comfort us. Father, there are people here going through unimaginable, unimaginable pain. Father, I ask you strengthen their faith. Allow them to see where they can grow. Allow them to see where you're instructing them. Father, help us be prepared for the next crazy thing in life, that we could come out stronger than ever, more mature than ever. Father, allow our faith and hope to be displayed to the world in the gospel of Jesus Christ and all for your glory. It's in all these things we ask.
In the name of Jesus, amen. And so hey, now's the time. We're gonna have a time of reflection. And you know, the altar's open. If you need to come and pray, you could come and pray. If you need to talk to me, I'll be up here. And maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you feel a little tug, you feel a little thing that, hey, you know, something's not right. Maybe I need to investigate Jesus more. I'll be up here, and I'd love to talk and pray with you either today or after the service. I'll spend as much time as you need. But right now, what we want you to do is just let God deal with you. We believe that he's moving, active, and alive. We believe the Spirit's in here this morning. And so whatever you got going on in here, we just ask you to deal with it. Maybe you feel like you're going through a period of discipline, and you know it. Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you just need to cling to the Father this morning. Maybe you know someone who's experiencing great tragedy and you need to pray for them. Whatever it is, will you just stand with us and allow God to speak to you?